three scriptures I'd like to read, but I'm only only read one, and then I'll refer to some others. But Philippians 4, if you've been in the church a long time, you probably know this scripture fairly well. If you're one of those first-timers, welcome. We're glad you are here. And this is a scripture that is just a great one, and one that I'm sure you'll be glad you've heard once we read it. So Philippians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, have you ever been reading the Bible and your gut response if you're going to be honest, was this. I don't like that. Or, oh no. (laughs) Huh? Ever read that? Well, how about the first time you read uh, James chapter 1, verse 2? Consider it pure pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, come on, seriously? (laughs) Am I supposed to say, when I get trials coming, I'm supposed to say that's great? Huh? The first time I read it, I wasn't too excited about reading that. I'll just tell you the truth. How about Matthew 5.39? If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You like that one? Uh, now, think about it. You see me here? John's not standing up right now, but if he were, I'd come to his shoulder. Maybe. Right? Now, what am I supposed to do if some six-foot guy weighs 200 pounds, comes and slaps me on the cheek? Now, what I'd, what I'd want to do is run. Huh? Anyway, he says no. And, and possibly you're out on the town, you walk by several homeless people, kind of gingerly, you don't really look them in the eye, and then the next day in morning devotions, you read uh, Proverbs... 28:27 He who gives to the poor will lack nothing but he who closes his eyes to them receives curses Suddenly you're feeling a little bit guilty and maybe a little panicky you know about the curses part Well you get the point And the first time we read scripture it doesn't always sound like good news It is good news but it always doesn't sound like it immediately, okay? Now, I think today's scripture is that way. It's one of those scriptures that I love, but also, while we might love it, we might also hate it, at least at first. Now, you might be a lot more spiritual than me, so maybe you would all say, no, I just love it. I just love it. That's all there is to it. And that's good. But listen in as to why... You might not love it when you first read it. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious. 
So haven't you ever asked, does God know what's going on today? Hmm? How about Ukraine? How about food insecurity? How about wildfires all over the place? How about mass shootings? How about inflation? And COVID, it's still around. Hmm? So have you never asked God what's going on today? Now, for the record, I believe that God does know what's going on today. So take a deep breath. It's okay. I do believe he knows what's going on. And today's scriptures, they're not meant to make us feel guilty, which is why we might hate them. They're meant to bring us peace. And that's why we can love them. We're going to focus on Philippians 4, 4 through 9, which I read. But we're also going to give a nod to Psalm 37, 1 to 8, and a nod to Matthew 6, 25 to 34, which was included in much of what Pastor John gave to us early in this service. So again, focusing on four, uh, Philippians 4, 4 to 9, and we're going to ask some questions, some questions that we can ask of any scripture. It's questions I actually use in Zoom Bible studies with some people I'm working with on Zoom. And the first question is this, is what does this scripture tell me about God? Now I'm going to give my responses, and your responses might be a little different, and that'd be okay, because God sometimes speaks to us in different ways. But the first thing I see here, what does this tell me about God? It says that God wants me to experience peace. Verse 7. Of Philippians 4. God wants me to experience peace. Now, peace or shalom does not mean the absence of difficulty or hard times. It does mean a sense of calm, even in the storm. It's really an inner quality. So we might say, I am at peace with that. Any of you ever say that? I'm at peace with that? Something very similar, I imagine. Peace is what we experience when we are in right relationship with God and with other people. When those two things are happening, we're at peace. Secondly, God wants us to depend upon him. That's what verse 6 says. Peace, not fretting, not being anxious, does not come from personal willpower either. It comes by grace. Now, too often, when we hear grace, I think in our tradition, when we hear the grace, we're thinking about how God forgives us from sin, right? And that's true. But grace is also God empowering us and enabling us to live for him, to live as he wants us to live, to live in peace. And that, of course, allows us to live in a healthy manner. It's the way... God wants us to live. Third thing that when I ask the question, what's this say to me about God? It tells me that God loves us. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you out there on YouTube. He he loves us. Verse 7 talks about that. He cares very much about our emotional as well as our spiritual well-being. He wants to guard our hearts. I read that what this means is he's going to put a sentry outside and not let the anxiety in. And 
keep the peace in. So we have a century, so to speak. Well, that's what stood out to me in that first question, is what, to say, what does this say about God? So what does it also say about us? What does it say about me? What does it say about us as people? Well, one of the things that comes to my mind, it says we are tempted to be anxious, to worry, to become uneasy or nervous. Verse 6 just suggests or implies there's a temptation there toward anxiety or worry. Now, we can become uneasy or nervous about a lot of things, so I'm, I'm going to just suggest a few. I, I don't want to depress you, but I'm just going to suggest a few that might cause us to be anxious or worried. But how about when our kids or our grandkids are making bad decisions? Are we tempted to be anxious? How about kids, teens, how about when our parents are making bad decisions? Are we tempted to be anxious? How about when change is coming and we don't know what that means? Are we tempted to be anxious? How about when we need a job or we got a big test or we want to date someone or we get hit with an unexpected bill? Might we be anxious? How about when we watch the news or follow social media? Are we tempted to be anxious? I got a little aside here. Why do we watch it anyway? But okay, let's move on. Uh, how about when someone we love has a health problem? Are we tempted to be anxious? Hmm? Well, I could add the list and so could you. We will be tempted to be anxious. The second thing is I ask the question, what does this say about you and me about us? We are tempted also to compare to focus on what is fair. And then we can fret, be troubled, or unhappy. This is the temptation that's addressed in Psalm 37. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great passage, but it starts out like this. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious toward wrongdoers. Then it goes on and says a lot of other things and that's verse 1. It gets to verse 8 and it tells us don't fret when evil prospers. Uh, It's there. It says, hey, don't fret. My kids, when they were with us, would say sometimes, that's not fair. I bet, bet you never heard that. I bet you never said that. Okay, I bet you have. All right. So they would say, that's not fair. And I would say, life's not fair. See, I took Parenting 101, and I was a really mean parent, so life's not fair. Well, see, the truth is, this is not heaven, and this world's never going to be fair. And so that's a temptation we, we struggle with. Now, if you're like me, you probably live somewhere in that middle class world. You know, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, I don't know. Some, most of us probably live in that world. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. That just happens to be where I live, and I think a lot of us probably live there. 
And we're, we're also tempted to fret. You know, like big important things like there's nothing in the fridge. The computer screen is spinning. It's raining during my vacation. My uh, 11-year-old granddaughter just turned 11. But ever since she's been about nine, she's kind of fretted about the fact that she doesn't own a four-wheeler. Yeah. Now, I'll give her a break because in her particular community, a lot of the kids her age have four-wheelers. So she just assumes a lot of other kids have them. Why wouldn't she, you know? Well, I want to insert something here, uh, especially for those of you who may say, I don't like this message because I'm a fretter and I'm a worrier and I, I, I have anxiety and I'm struggling a little bit with this message. So I want to insert something here. A friend of mine has a tendency toward anxiety. So she did some testing with a neuropsychologist. I think I got that right. And the test revealed that she is smart. But one side of her brain is a lot smarter than the other side of her brain. I don't understand it. Well, anyway, because one side of the brain is smarter than the other side of the brain, that leads toward anxiety because uh, side A can't keep up with side B. And so that kind of takes a long time for side A and side B to get together. It's probably only a few seconds. I I really don't know how long it is. But it's long enough. Uh, One example of how this affects her is she understands visually far faster than she can verbalize it. I don't understand it. I've just had that explained to me. And I'm sure that what I explained to you is simplified and probably not the best explanation you're ever going to hear. But anyway, it goes on that way. And so the neuropsychologist taking the test was a good idea because, you know, sometimes medications might be needed. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, It can be a wise alternative. But I'd also want to say that taking things to Jesus is always a good choice. Always a good choice. We can actually invite him. Now again, I might not explain this properly, but we can invite Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to create new neural paths of trust in our mind and spirit. Now, you can check that out, but that's what these neuropsychologist people are are figuring out. We, We actually develop these systems in our head, we can actually work at it. If we ask Jesus, all the better, isn't it? Well, third question, what does this teach me? This teaches me to cooperate with God and to let God be God. So I say, I believe in the sovereignty of God, so therefore, I need to trust him. I am limited. God is not limited. So I need to embrace that God is in control and I have limitations. Now one of the huge limitations I have is in relationships. Because you know what? I can't make anybody do anything. 
Can you? No, you can't. Our understanding is also limited, which can lead to mistakes and frustrations and fretting if we can't accept that reality. And a sense of humor is a great thing right there. My wife and I have a favorite saying. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> it's, a, it's fun when we mess up or forget something. It's fun. Our abilities are also limited. We try, we fail, and then we choose. What do we choose? We either choose to fret or to fail forward. Hmm? Fail forward. Well, secondly, this teaches me that anxiety and fretting can be avoided and overcome. I don't, I don't really believe for a second that God asked us to do things we can't do. Now, we might have to work at it with him. We have to cooperate with him. It's not like he's going to go, and there it is. We have to cooperate. But here's some things from Philippians that I believe we can do. Number one, verse four. We can rejoice in the Lord. And I would suggest to you it's very hard to rejoice and fret simultaneously. It's hard. Secondly, pray. Verse 6, invite God to intervene. Give your situation to God palms down. Now by palms down, I mean like this. You can't hold on to anything like that. Right? There's always an athlete out there that said, well, I can palm the basketball. You know, I could... No, no, straight up. Not, not even a seven-footer with huge hands can palm a basketball if their hands are straight up, palms down. Give it to God. Thirdly, be thankful. Verse 6 tells us that. Now, I have two habits that try to keep me thankful. I'm not a natural be thankful guy. Uh, wish I were, but I'm not. I actually literally have to work at it. So I write daily in my prayer journal something I am thankful for in the previous 24 hours. Now, I've been doing it quite a long time now, and so it's pretty easy for me now. But uh, I, write it, I write it down. I, I make myself do that. I also have a page listing what I'm thankful for every day, you know, 24-7. And since Marilyn, my wife, is here today, I just want you to know that she's number one on the list, okay? All right. So... Again, I, I would suggest it's hard to be thankful and to be fretting at the same time. Fourth thing we can do in verse 8, we can focus on the positives. Now, what we focus on will strongly influence our attitudes and our actions. We all know that, don't we? It will. Jesus said, it's out of the heart, you know. I want God to make me and keep me a glass half full person. Now, I'd prefer to have the glass full, but that's a little tougher. But I want to be at least, you know, moving in the right direction, right? And then in verse 9, kind of a summary verse maybe, living for Jesus, living like Jesus is another way to avoid and overcome anxiety. That's only possible by grace. We have to remember that all the time. God, God doesn't ask us again to do something that he'll not help us to do that he'll not guide us to do, etc. It's always by grace, not by willpower. 
When we try to do these things by willpower, all we do is get frustrated and end up probably worse off than we were. Yes, we have to cooperate. Yes, we have to exercise discipline, but it's about grace. So those are five things that that we can do to, to help us to overcome or totally avoid this anxiety thing. I'll give them to you again. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, pray, inviting God to intervene. Number three, be thankful. Number four, focus on the positives. And five, live like Jesus. Now, you probably won't remember those, but if you just go back to Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and kind of check it out, you can make that list where you'd remember it. Question four, what do I need to obey or act on? You know what the problem is with lots of Bible study? They never ask this question. They never ask, what do I need to actually obey? Or what do I need to act on? What do I need to do? Bible's not given to us so we can just fill our heads. But also to fill our hearts and to put it into action. As the Lord leads us. As the Lord leads us. Now, so what do I need to act on or obey based on this scripture? Based on this message? For me, it's rejoicing. Don't just be thankful, but rejoice. I need to be a rejoicer. So what about you? You can think about it. And question five, who will I tell what I have learned or been reminded of? Again, wouldn't it be nice if every time we heard a sermon or if we did a Bible study or whatever, we had someone that we would just share it with so they too could learn and it wouldn't be wouldn't it be great if it was some like someone like Tina and Carrie who sit on their front porch when I walk my three mile walk most mornings, then they're out there in the front porch, and uh, so we strike up a conversation three years ago or so, and now we now every time they're out there I stop and talk to them briefly, and if I've just had a Bible study I I just tell them well here's here's what I learned in my Bible study last night or whenever it was, and I tell them. I tell Tim sometimes. I tell Mary sometimes. And as far as I know, none of these people are walking with the Lord. But they let me tell them what I'm learning. I think that's a good idea. Well, the psalmist, inspired of God, Psalm 37, what did he say? Do not fret. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, that... Pastor John read from. What did Jesus say? I think four times in like ten verses he says, do not worry. And then in that verse 34 he said, each day has enough worry of its own, enough trouble of its own. And the Apostle Paul, here, what's he say inspired by the Lord? He says, do not be anxious. Now hear this Very clearly, please. God is not seeking to guilt us. He is seeking to free us and to give us peace. He's seeking to free us and to give us peace. So if you are struggling in this area, I'd like you to use your imagination a bit. Imagine the joy of living a life with such peace. And imagine the influence on unbelievers 
as they see you living in such peace. God, in his love for you, wants this for you. He wants you to experience his peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray with you just briefly. Lord, left to ourselves, I expect we will fret and be anxious. Help us by your grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit to place ourselves fully in your hands and live in your peace to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.